0: The infinite banking concept is really utilizing, as, as you both know, max or overfunded whole life insurance, where you drive the insurance and the cost of the insurance, by the way, down and you maximize the cash value. And then the investment optimizer is really is really teaching the strategy of utilizing that cash. And this is for this isn't for everybody. This is for sophisticated investors that have the discipline to invest in cash flow investments mm-hmm. and then put the money and back in. Back. But mm-hmm. yeah, but taking that money, mm-hmm. investing it, and then paying, paying yourself back with interest or with the profit.
1: You're listening to Investing for Good, a show that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design, and impact the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb.
2: Hey, everyone! Annie Dickerson here with Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you
3: today? I'm doing excellent. Annie, how about you? I know you're on the road. This is our first uh, podcast recording with you on the road. How's it going? Ah, oh, it's
2: so great! Oh my gosh, we've been driving through Southern Utah, through Zion and Bryce and Capitol Reef, and just. Man, just seeing those um, expansive landscapes just sort of puts Mm -hmm. everything in perspective. You know, when you're at home and in your office all day, you have these problems, these little problems that (laughs) seem to turn into big problems, right?
3: Yes. But when you're out on the
2: road and you see new people, new places, try Mm -hmm. new foods, um, you know, even now in the age of coronavirus, you know, that we still see people out and about, we're safe, you know, we've got our masks on Mm -hmm. and we take Mm -hmm. all the precautions, but, you know, we're still able to go out and see the world, which I'm so grateful for.
3: I know. I know. I'm grateful that you're having that opportunity because a lot of people don't. And that's something that, you know, that we're always grateful for is the flexibility and the freedom that, uh, you know, real estate investing allows us, I wake up every morning, just so grateful that we, that this is our job, you know, this is what we get to do. So it's, I have to pinch myself sometimes. So uh, (laughs) I'll be joining you next week, um, you know, on the road as well. And uh, so the next podcast recording, I think that we'll do, uh, we'll be, we'll both be kind of on the road with our green screen. So looking forward to that.
2: (laughs) Well, speaking of freedom and flexibility, that was a big theme of our conversation today with
1: yes. Chris
2: Larson, founder of Next Level Income. And he's also written written a book by the same name. And Chris has had, man, so many different life experiences. He's been investing in real estate for over 20 years. Since he was 21, I still mm-hmm. can't believe it. He was in I can't college <laughs> and he bought his first property intentionally. Not like he mm-hmm. fell into it, like most people uh-huh. fall into it, but he intentionally read all hundreds of books and mm-hmm. then he purposefully got into it and then his real estate journey has just really taken off.
3: And you know, When he had said that he became an accredited investor, And met his goal of like ten thousand dollars a month by the time he was thirty. I was like, what? Like, I know some people who are still in their like late forties, early fifties, trying to achieve that ten k a month, you know, number. So yeah, yeah, and it was so fun to tap him and uh, talk about whole life insurance policies because Mm. I think if I'm correct, he's the first guest that we've brought on the show that has talked about. Not just the life insurance policies and how they're using it, but how they're using it in conjunction with the life insurance policy as a real estate investor. And so it was really good for him to share so much of how he's using uh, the life insurance policies to not only invest in real estate, but also to save. For his kids' college education, and we spent a little bit of time talking about that um, about how he's used that to replace the 529 plan. And again, freedom and flexibility in that um, you know, giving his kids the options to do whatever it is they, you know, they're going to do when they grow up. Which, how do you know when their kids are two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I love that he shared a lot of insight in that, and uh, yeah, we talked about so many different things, um, but it was a really great episode. Yeah, there's so much power when
2: you learn about strategies like this, which is exactly why we've created this podcast Mm -hmm. and why we love having these conversations. It's our way of giving back to all our listeners and sharing all this wisdom that we've been so privileged to be privy Mm -hmm. to and to learn these strategies. Um, But when we get to talk to people like Chris, who are out there putting these strategies to work and using them in really unique and creative ways, um, you know, we learn too. So it's, Mm -hmm. this is definitely a really fun conversation. For all our listeners out there, enjoy this episode with Chris Larson. Hey, Chris, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: I'm great, Annie. It's great to be here with you and Julie. Thank you so much for having me on today.
2: Absolutely. Now, Chris, I know that you've been investing in and managing real estate for over 20 years. And in that time, you've yeah. done so much, everything from rental properties to development to multifamily syndications, and even more than that. And we'll definitely dig into all of that. But I want to start by taking us back to the beginning of your real estate journey. Now, I believe you bought your first rental property while still in college at age 21. Is that right?
0: It is. And it's almost exactly half my life now. I just turned 42. So, yeah, it's, a, it's, yeah, we can just rewind halfway and we get right there.
2: <laughs> there you go. So, tell us how you, you know, if I think back to my college years, the last thing on my mind was real estate. So, tell us how you came to find that property and where were you? What were you thinking about? And how did you decide to pull the trigger on that deal?
0: Yeah. So, I was in college, I was studying engineering, but really, really what I wanted to do was race bicycles. So, I figured I'd get a college degree and go race my bike, become a professional and then figure out what I really wanted to do. But I was studying engineering because I thought that was, that made sense. It was interesting, but it was, I did not enjoy it and it wasn't a lot of fun. So I was devoting my energy to racing my bike, uh, doing okay enough in classes. Um, And between my junior and sophomore years, my best friend, my roommate, my training partner died. He had a brain hemorrhage Mm. and it really for the next year, I poured my heart and soul into racing. And about a year after that, I was doing really well. I was All-American cyclist. I was the president of the cycling team at Virginia Tech. Uh, I was winning. I won more races that season than I'd ever won. I was a category one, which basically allows you to become a professional once you hit that status. But I wasn't happy. And I got back to school, and I was trying to figure out like really what I wanted to do. And what stuck with me was that I didn't want any regrets and I wanted to live the fullest life possible, not only for myself, but also to honor the life of my Mm -hmm. friend, Chris, who didn't have his, didn't have his life anymore. And I, I was interested in investing. I'd already started a Roth IRA. And when I quit cycling, that was kind of where my, uh, interest and my, and my focus started to lead. And what I really wanted was freedom. So I wanted freedom to race my bike, and when I wasn't racing my bike anymore, I wanted the freedom to live life on my own terms, so I didn't have to have those regrets. And that's what really drove me into the space. I began. I began day trading. I was making five thousand dollars a month day trading in college as a junior. Um, I also had like a side business, like a loft business. So I was was doing all right as a college student. Um, but the market was super volatile. It was the late nineties. You know, the Nasdaq was up and down, and you could do really well, but you could also Get get hurt really badly, and I got I got hurt in some trades. And I was laying there one morning at three a.m. and just thinking, "Is this like I'm twenty years old? What if I'm forty years old and I'm I'm having these same feelings? I have a family. Like, is this really what I want to be doing?" And I, I started looking at other options. So I read two hundred over two hundred fifty books actually on investing, finance. Uh, started to look into real estate, and what I why I gravitated towards it was the control that you had. You could buy a property under value. You could negotiate it. You could even improve it. So uh, I was renting in this uh, little townhouse complex and one went up for sale. And I was I was going through like a lease negotiation and there was stuff broken where I was living and the landlord drug, drug their feet. I saw this place go up for sale and I had my mom co-sign on the loan and for uh, $90,000 bought my first and in, turned into my first investment property.
2: Wow. Wait a second. So all of this is happening. You've read 250 books. Most people are Hmm. like, well, I kind of made a decision. I wanted to go into something. And then five years later, then something happened. But you were still 21 when you bought that first property. So was this like at age 20, you were like, oh, this day trading thing isn't going to work. And then by 21, you had bought your first property.
0: So to be fair, it was like kind of the process started at 19. Okay. And I read those books over the course of probably about four years. And I'll tell you a secret: the, one of the first books I read was a speed reading course. So, do oh, that. If you're going to read a lot of books, mm-hmm. either either listen to audiobooks at, at one and a half times speed or, or, or pick up a speed reading book or course. And um, yeah, I was reading one to two books a week. So, and when, wow. as you guys know, if you're interested in something, you can really digest material pretty rapidly at that point.
2: And you had a Roth IRA. What college student has a Roth IRA? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were well had, ahead
2: of your time.
0: <laughs> I was fortunate. So I had a friend mentor that we went to church with, and his name's Clint Provenza. And he's I talk about him in my book. And if uh, what what I talk about today resonates with your with anyone here that's listening, feel free to go to our website, nextlevelincome.com, click on the book link, and I'll send you guys a, a book for free. But I talked about Clinton, how he introduced me to cycling, but during my freshman year, and he went to Virginia Tech as well. He was an engineer. He might have been, sorry, computer science. Uh, but he gave me this money magazine, and it talked about a Roth IRA, and it talked about kind of the magic of compound interest. And I'll never forget that, you know, logarithmic slope of that the investing curve and I was like, this is this is like this is it. Mm-hmm. You know, this this makes a lot of sense to me. So yeah, you know, I think I forget what the limits were back then. It might have been two thousand or three thousand dollars that you could put in to start off. <laughs> and I just started learning about, you know, different investments. And now, you know, I still invest in the stock market. It's funny, my son, my eight-year-old son was just in here with his Roth IRA account. And we were talking about how much his investments have returned this year. So we're trying to use that as a, as a learning tool for them as well.
1: <laughs>
2: nice, That's amazing. Yes. So you're teaching your sign. Um, did your parents or anybody else teach you about all this stuff while you were growing up?
0: So they kind of taught by example. And my, uh, again, I talk about this in the book too. I lost my father at age five. So my mother and stepfather, they were savers. They weren't huge investors. They weren't big risk takers, but they were savers. And because my stepfather was a contractor and in real estate, they were very comfortable buying and fixing up a property or maintaining it. Um, so he still has, um, I think, three properties that he owns outright. So I got to learn by example. But what I also learned was I don't like to shovel shingles on roofs. I don't like to lay wood floors. I don't like to you know, take out people's trash for them. I did it. And So I got to learn by doing and by seeing through them I got little hints here and there and then once I was in college I started to learn to reach out to people and I've had a lot a lot of influence and and help along the way for sure but um, you know enough to get me started from my family
2: so you're in college you try the day trading thing it's up and down and That that must have been one heck of a realization in your early 20s to think forward, to down the road when I have a family, I don't want to feel like this. I think most 20-year-olds, even 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds wouldn't even think about that. They would just think, well, this is fun. I'm enjoying this. I'm learning a lot. I'm making some money some days, losing some money other days. But um, that is quite an insight to have at such a young age.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you, you saying that, Annie. I think you're right. You know, when I kind of look back and I've you know, talked to people about it over the years, you're like, that's not really, you know, that, that's fairly unique. I think one of the things that kind of changed my mindset was, was having my father die when I was young. So mm-hmm. I always had this thought that time was, you know, it was more finite. So I looked at things probably through a little bit of a different lens, and as I've read about psychology and you know, talked to people, I've I've heard that this is this this is more common in in individuals that have lost a parent or a loved one at a young age. Um, and I think you know losing my best friend at that point, it really you know it it really kind of compressed it even more and focused me yeah. even more um, at that point. So I, you know I say a lot of times I say, "Oh, well, I'm lucky this happened, or I'm lucky that happened." You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't wish it you know, the loss of a loved one on anybody. Um, but it definitely does change your thinking. And I think for me, it's it's pushed me to do do things a little bit differently and be more focused and, and really try to get, get the most out of my life. You know, at, at times when, like you said, other people may be a little more carefree you're not really thinking about those things. Yeah,
2: let's dig in a little bit to that first deal. So you knew from grow- growing up, you didn't like shoveling shingles, you didn't like swinging a hammer, you didn't like doing all this stuff. But despite that, you had read all these books and you knew that real estate was something you could control, you could improve. When it came time to buy that first deal, what was it? about? First of all, what market were you in? Was this in Virginia near your Yeah, school? it was in, Blacks- okay. yep,
0: in Blacksburg, Virginia. Yep.
2: Okay. Okay. Tell us more about the property and what made you decide, like, I'm going to jump in and try this thing out.
0: Yeah. So first off, it was kind of a house hack. So I I was living there. So I I had roommates, and I bought the place next door a year or two later. It was two, three-unit townhomes, so it was kind of like my own little, you know, mini six-unit apartment building, kind of side by side. Um, But I I looked at the numbers and I thought, well, geez, I'm paying this much rent. If I buy this place, it was, I mean, at the time uh, FHA loan, it was like three thousand dollars total with the down payment and the closing cost. Which I mean, yeah, it's 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 kind of amazing what you can get started in. Yeah. And that was that was about what I would pay a you know, well maybe it was a little bit more than I'd pay a year in rent. I'm trying to think here. Huh, call it the same. So I'm like, wait a minute, if I put this down payment, I get a couple of roommates, I, I can basically live for free. And interest rates then were about seven percent. So even then, um I you know, I was able to cash flow the property and I kind of went I read somewhere like the one percent rule. And all all in, you're getting about nine hundred or nine hundred fifty dollars rent for a property that you would pay about ninety thousand dollars for. So I kind of I knew I knew a little bit of that, um, but it was really it was very simple. It's like okay, if I get this cash flow coming in, you know that's going to eliminate that. And I was I was I just remember how excited when I my net worth hit hundred thousand dollars, and I thought, man, if I can get a cash flow of three thousand dollars a month, I am like I'm golden. Um, this is obviously pre kids. And uh, <laughs> pre-wife and and all that stuff, but um, yeah. So it was it was it was one the passive income, you know, from the roommates, and then two, uh, you know, the ability to you know start to grow the net worth through the appreciation, and that was you know real estate really started to rip around that time, you know, kind of late nineties, early two thousands.
2: Yeah, and Julie and I talk about this all the time too. Is house hacking is such a great way to get into real estate. That's how we both got started as well, almost. By accident, you know, sort of like you were talking about sort of, you know, you want to get in, you know, it's a good thing to do, but then really thinking about it creatively and being resourceful about it versus I think what most people do, they, you know, get get their degree, they get married, and then they buy a single family home and they live in it for a really long time. Um, But house hacking is such a creative way to get into real estate.
0: I think it's fantastic. I recommend it. You know, People that are just starting out, it's like, hey, you look at that or buy a home that you can fix up and flip it in a couple of years, take that money tax-free. Um, I think it's, it's th- like you were saying or alluding to, Annie, it's the opposite of the way most people do it. I was talking to a young investor here in Asheville that I'm, I'm mentoring and she owns uh, three properties, but one, one is a multifamily, one is a multi-unit short-term rental with a lot, um, and then another is, is a house. So she has, you know, she's already got a pretty good portfolio, young girl, and she is renting a home. So she owns all these properties Mm -hmm. and she's renting a home. So Mm -hmm. she's, I I told her, I was like, you're thinking about this the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's kind of, it's kind of neat. So I I advocate that to anybody that's looking to get started. I think it's a great way to think about it. Even if you end up not doing it, Um, at least understanding kind of that mindset will really go a long way for you.
3: Yeah. It's so funny how that's so hard for people to understand, you know, because it's so ingrained mm-hmm. in us to, mm-hmm. you know, go out there and buy a house and get a job and just, you know, follow these things. And it's like, um, mm-hmm. you know, this idea of like life is just decided for you already. And it's like, okay, right. I'm just going to go out there and live my life that the way that somebody else has decided. And it's so hard for people, including myself way back when, like to say, no, I'm not going to do this and to go against the grain and say, I'm going to find another way. Sadly, it usually takes something, at least it did for me, to wake you up to say, oh my goodness, Like, what am I doing? I don't have forever. I don't even know if I have tomorrow. And that's the truth. And people don't realize that. And they think they're going to live till they're 90. And it's just not a guarantee. And it's in you know, sometimes as in your case and mine as well, thing bad things have to happen um, in order to wake you up and like give you that jolt you need to to, you know, realize there's a better way.
0: Yeah. I mean it's it's like I said, it's it's fortunate and unfortunate, you know, when you, you experience these things and I think yeah, that's the thing you can appreciate the time you have with people and then mm-hmm. and then be grateful for mm-hmm you know, maybe the lesson that's been learned.
3: Yeah. So, okay. So I know you, you've done a ton of other stuff besides this one little rental property. So I want to move on from that um, and uh, spend some time kind of talking about all these other things that you've gotten into. So take us post the townhome. And then you said you bought the second one next door a year or two later. Yep. What happened after that? Did you, so you yeah. must have known at that point, as did I, you do one, you're like, wow, this is, this is working out pretty good. Like this is, yeah. you know, if I could do more of this, this, this would be a good thing. Right. So then you buy the second one. And then what did you do after that? Cause I know you've done a lot in the last 20 years. So, so what happened yeah. after that?
0: Kept buying. So yeah. yeah, my, my initial strategy, I read this book, it's called buy and hold. Okay. And it was by, he's actually a, uh, I don't know if he's still alive anymore. He's an older investor in California. And he basically mm-hmm. just talked about how. How powerful it is in real estate to buy, utilize leverage, and have somebody else pay your mortgages off. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, I, I didn't. That three thousand dollars was about all I had at the mm-hmm. time. Um, well, I mean, I did, I did have some money in the stock market. So, but it's like, all right, how am I going to buy multiple mm-hmm. properties? So the next po- property, I, it was like maybe ten thousand dollars down. Um, the one after that was thirty. So when you're, you know, when you're twenty, twenty two, 23 years old, it doesn't take that long to run out of out of money and down payment, mm-hmm. so yeah I, I quickly realized one I needed a plan and i 'm a, I'm a planner i 'm very 'm very strategic in in what and everything I do, and then I needed capital for down payments, so I thought, okay, my plan is to buy enough properties to have ten thousand dollars a month coming in, mm-hmm. so I thought, all right, if I can do this in five years i 'll be good, so buy you know one, two properties a year. I, I got to the point by the time I was 25 and I had enough properties that I had $10,000 a month in rent coming in, gross. Wow. Well, I mean, I say gross, that's, um, that would be net expenses, not including debt service.
3: De- yeah.
0: So yeah. I thought, okay, now if I have a good job, I can just pay these off. And that was my initial plan. Mm-hmm. And I ended up in the medical device industry. Um, just the same thing we do right now. Again, I talk about this in my book, how I've always followed demographics. I'm, I'm really a demographics guy. I'm an investor and a demographics person. And I use demographics to shape my investing decisions, which is what led me to multifamily. It also led me to medical the medical device industry uh, in 2000, would have been 2002, when I made the choice to go into it. It's what led me to Asheville, North Carolina, Um, and I think it's, it's also the same thing that we're seeing the current pandemic with the COVID-19 crisis is accelerating these trends. These were all happening 20 years ago and I have it documented. Mm -hmm. So this isn't, this isn't some, some magic thing that people are now all of a sudden moving from the city to higher quality areas. Um, Mm -hmm. so I thought, okay, now I got a job. I can pay all these properties off in five to 10 years if I make some good money. I started down that process, put my head down. And by the age of 30, I was, I was accredited. I was, I was making good money. Um, We had our first, my wife was pregnant, had our first son and that I was like, all right, I got like five ish years to, to make this happen. And my goal was before 40. So I figured, you know, 35 to 40, um, I was right on track. Uh, My mother passed away, got cancer, passed away Mm -hmm. a week before my second son was born. And at that point it was like, all right, what, what the hell's happening? I was 33 or 34 at the time and i thought okay let's let's reassess and one of the things i my wife and i did we we reassessed our financial picture and we looked at our portfolio and i was getting when i started with these properties in the early 2000s i was getting about a 30% return on my equity that i had in them by the time i was in my early 30s 10 years later i was getting a 7% return and after tax as you know, if you're making you know a few hundred thousand dollars a year after tax, yeah. year I was getting about a four to five percent post tax return, and I thought I was like, this is terrible. Um, somebody at a meeting mentioned multifamily. I looked, I started, I started looking into it, and I was like, wow, these demographics. The same thing I saw with the baby boomers, the millennials are driving this rental market. So I started looking to multifamily, talked to some operators over the next few years, I sold all my single family properties and rolled them all into multifamily. And we have been 100% in multifamily, a little bit of commercial since 2015.
3: Wow. And did you guys roll it all in as passive investors or or active like you're buying your own apartments?
0: So starting in 2013, from 2013 to 2016, well, 2015, 2016, but from 2013, 2014, uh, part of 2015, passive Starting yes. in 2015, it was um, a combination of active and then uh, I syndicated um, or we syndicated our first deal with my, my uh, previous partner in 2016. So mm-hmm. every deal since then, I have been on, on both sides as a LP as well as a GP.
2: We'll get back to our
3: conversation with Chris in just a minute. And now back to our chat with Chris Larson. So you started out as a passive. So tell us about that because I know a lot of people, you know, always ask like, is that a good way to get into it? Is it, you know, how should I go about this? I, I think I want to be active. And that's something that I always recommend that if you can, you think you want to mm-hmm. be active before you go and start messing around with other people's money and syndicate a deal or even your own money. I mean, who wants to put in, you know, two, three million dollars of your own money into a deal? You don't know what you're doing. Um, I- but, you know, so tell us about that decision making process. Like, how did you decide like passive was the way versus active? Active.
0: Yeah. So I think uh, I agree a hundred percent, Julie. And you, you know, you, make, you made a nice comment there. You never want to mess around with other people's money. You want to make sure and look, if you're a passive investor and you're talking to syndicators, you want to make sure they got their own money in the deal too. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's the first thing, you know, you want to make sure of, um, you know, before you start criticizing, you know, you start being critical of their experience and all that. So I think it's awesome. And this is what I tell investors. If they call me and they say, Hey, I'm interested in doing this. I said, great. How are you going to learn? It's, Mm -hmm. it's a fabulous way to learn because if you're, if you are in a syndication, if you're an LP in the deal, you're actually, Mm -hmm. you're still an owner in the deal. You can learn Mm -hmm. as much as you need. And you know, the, but before you do that you really got to assess like what do you enjoy like do you enjoy doing that do you enjoy talking to investors do you mm-hmm. do you enjoy swing you know making doing your own repairs mm-hmm. do you enjoy talking to banks like what is it that you really enjoy and as a passive investor you can start to figure out how to analyze deals how to mm-hmm. vet operators mm-hmm. and and also you can determine what it is that you like about the different aspects and what i found is i I can operate a deal just fine. I can look through all that, but I really, right before we got on this call, I still got the spreadsheet pulled up. Um, I'm, we're underwriting a deal. I love, I love looking at spreadsheets, underwriting deals, tweaking the numbers. I love educating investors, and and those are the things that you know. If 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 I didn't have anything to do, I would get up and that's what I would do. I'd read, mm-hmm. I'd read data. I would look at spreadsheets and I would talk to people. Like,
3: um, you didn't say that on the first date with your wife, did you?
0: <laughs> or is uh, that how met, you got her in? <laughs> I usually save that. That's like a that's like a third or fourth date kind of thing. Got it. You okay, know? right. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah. That now like it, it, after the sousaphone
2: now, conversation. That's right. Now, yeah,
0: back in band camp, you can start talking about spreadsheets the first date. But you know, now we, we actually met in yoga class. No spreadsheets talk.
3: No spreadsheet talk. Yeah. (laughs) I want to come back to the multifamily thing, but I know you've done a lot of other things as well. Um, And I know you do the infinite banking thing as well. Right. And so I want to hear a little bit about that from your perspective, because Annie and I are huge fans of it. It's something that we, uh, you know, put into our financial plan as well. And um, when I first discovered it, I was like, this can't be real. This really literally cannot be real. Um, And the funny thing is back four years ago when I first discovered it, I I could I, I read it somewhere on bigger pockets, like in a blog, and then and then I couldn't find it anywhere, anywhere else. It was very hard to find mm-hmm. anybody who was talking about how they're using it in conjunction with their real estate investments. And so it took mm-hmm. me a while. And even still Annie and I talk about this. It's not something we get it, but when we try to explain yeah. it to other people, very hard yeah. for us. So can you yeah. just real briefly run through what it means and how you might be using it or how you might um, you know, advise somebody to to implement that into their uh, investing strategy.
0: Absolutely. So I, I was, uh, I sold life insurance for State Farm uh, when I was mm-hmm. finishing my MBA. Mm-hmm. And what I was taught back then was buy term, invest the difference. And if you're investing in the stock market, you're like, yeah, it's great. If I'm getting a 20% return in the stock market in the 90s, like why would I put my money anywhere else? Mm-hmm. Infinite banking is not an investment. So if anybody's listening, And it's like, Oh yeah, I've heard about that. Like I can invest my money other places. That's don't, don't think of it like that. It's Mm -hmm. a tool. It's a storehouse of wealth. It's a place to, you know, keep your money safe. And I talk about the three buckets in my book. I talk about, you know, how the second bucket is, is your safety bucket. Like you need to, or your protect bucket, you need to protect Mm -hmm. your, your life, what, you know, your possessions. Um, and also, you know, the money, the money that you have. You know, for investing. So I learned about this concept back in 2009. And I, same thing as you, I heard about this concept. It's like, all right, let me look into it. I was like, this is almost too good to be true. You know, I can use this. And we really initially set the policies up, uh, Julie, as a strategy in lieu of a 529 plan. Mm-hmm. So my wife and I started these policies. And just like if your audience hasn't figured it out now, I started to dig deeper. I thought, oh, okay, like I have this cash value in these policies. And what I would do is I would put in um, a certain amount every month. And then when I get bonuses, I put my bonuses in there as well. And then we take the money out, we buy a car, we pay ourselves back. And that's kind of like this, uh, if people have heard like the bank on yourself strategy and infinite banking and Nelson Nash talks about this in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. I keep reading and I read about somebody who was building homes, was a builder and he would take the money out, Mm -hmm. build a house. Take the profit and roll it back in and do it all over again. That makes a lot of sense. So I called my uh, called my agent. I said, "Hey Russ, I said, what do you think about this?" He goes, "I think it's a great idea." It's like, okay. So my wife and I started building spec homes. We took the capital out of our policies, and then what we did was we recycled the capital back in, plus a little profit that we paid ourselves with interest. And we take the the, the big piece of the profit, and we put that into our next multifamily deal. We started doing that. Um, in 2013, 2012, 2013, right around the same time. It took me 10 years though. And what, again, the point I hate to be kind of morbid here, but it, it, these, these moments um, had big impacts in my life. My best mm-hmm. friend's wife passed away from cancer. He calls me and says, Man, I can't thank you enough, Chris, about telling me about this, you know, the, the life insurance. Mm-hmm. And he, he called his agent and started basically a, an infinite banking policy for his wife and himself. It allowed him to quit his job moved back to Asheville where he's from. And, and for a year, that's all he did was, was spend time with his daughters. And then people started to ask me, well, where do you get your money for these deals? I said, oh, I take it out of my life insurance policies. So mm-hmm. how do you do that? Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, this is mm-hmm. all right. I, I thought, all right, this is, I, I need to, I need to put together a tool to teach people about that. Mm-hmm. So we just introduced that this year on our website as well. Um, okay. We call it the investment optimizer. And really what mm-hmm. that is, is making sure you have the specially structured contract because it's a contract mm-hmm. uh, with with the life insurance company. And then we talk about how to utilize the cash value in those policies, that capital that's yours as collateral, and then borrow against that to, to put in the deals. And basically what you do is it's financial arbitrage. Um, mm-hmm. So the infinite banking concept is really utilizing, as, as you both know, max or overfunded whole life insurance mm-hmm. where you drive the insurance and the cost of the insurance by the way down and you maximize the cash value and then the investment optimizer is really is really teaching the strategy of utilizing that cash and this is for this isn't for everybody this is mm-hmm. for sophisticated investors that have the discipline to invest in cash flow investments mm-hmm. and then put the money and back in back. but mm-hmm. yeah but taking that money mm-hmm. investing it and then paying paying yourself back with interest or with the profit as well, mm-hmm. and we lay that all out. It's a it's a, um, a five or ten page paper or white paper that anybody can get at our uh, uh, banking link is what it's under.
3: And so that's so cool. So you, you so you did spec homes, and you're you're taking <laughs> all of the like the big chunk of the profit and putting it into multifamily deals. So you maxed out the the policy premiums and the life insurance, and then you had all this extra money. And it's like okay, well, where else can I put this? Um, where it's going to work the hardest for me, and then you put it into the multifamily deals. Was that as an active investor, or was it as a passive?
0: That was we were kind of combining it at that point. Okay. Um, so it okay. started it started as passive. Yeah. So just you know, for your listeners, let's say you have a hundred thousand dollars that you've built up mm-hmm. over you know say five years in a, in a insurance policy. We take fifty to a hundred thousand dollars out. We would use that to fund the either the down payment or the purchase of a lot that we use as collateral for a spec house. We would mm-hmm. typically. Ah, uh, get somewhere around a fifty percent return, and so if you invest one hundred thousand dollars, that's a fifty thousand dollars return. Mm-hmm. We'd pay ourselves back, and we would take that, you know, forty or forty-five thousand dollars net, and we would mm-hmm. put that into the next deal, along with you know another, say, fifty thousand dollars that we had um, accumulated as well, and we were able to. That just allowed us to to uh, invest more and more faster and faster.
3: Do you recommend if somebody has some money laying around right now, 50,000, a hundred thousand dollars, and they want to invest in multifamily as a passive investor, they Mm -hmm. don't have a whole life insurance policy, but this sounds interesting to them. How would they go about, what would kind of the first steps be to implement this plan to kind of maximize that investment?
0: Yeah. So that's a great question, Julie. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's not necessarily for everybody, you know, Mm -hmm. and I talk about, I call it my opportunity fund in the book. And I say, well, what is this? Like, what is it for? Who is it not for? If you don't need or want permanent insurance, maybe Mm -hmm. it's not for you. You could just stick your money somewhere else. But if Mm -hmm. you have a family, if you have a need for insurance and you're disciplined and you can do it, Yes, you could Mm -hmm. take like say $100,000 that's in savings and funnel it through an insurance policy. Mm -hmm. There's going to be an upfront cost to that because you're paying Mm -hmm. for that insurance and Mm -hmm. um, all the costs are very transparent in insurance. But over the life of a policy, you're typically looking at a cost of less than 1% over the life of that policy in fees. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you could absolutely do that. Um, And a a good policy that's structured well is going to give you 70 to 80% Year one of the money that you put in it, and okay. typically these policies are going to uh, break even about year five, and after that, that money is going to grow um, really unencumbered. Um, so you're looking at you know every dollar that you put in, you're going to have more than that typically by year five going forward, and certainly faster if you if you invest that and and mm-hmm. accelerate that process.
1: Wow.
2: So I'm sure there's people listening who are hearing about this for the first time or maybe understanding this for the Mm -hmm. first time. Maybe they've heard the term infinite banking before, but really didn't know what it meant. So I want to make sure that everybody who's listening to this understands that, you know, when you take your money from savings and you put it into a whole life insurance policy, it's not like that money just disappears. I think that's the misconception that a lot of people have is like, I'm buying this policy. So this hundred thousand dollars just goes away and I don't have it anymore. But in fact, it's quite the opposite. Is that right, Chris? Yeah.
0: Yeah, I love that's that's a great way. We say we say it's a way to put your money to work in two places at once. So, you can you can put it to work in a policy and typically historically these policies have returned about a 5% return. Now, I said early on, don't consider it an investment, but you do get a rate of return. Think of it like a super supercharged savings account. So, you're getting that return, you're getting the value of the life insurance because, you know, if you ask you would never ask my friend what the return on his his wife's policy is. But it's near infinite because you know you have there's that value of that life insurance, mm-hmm. and then you can take that cash value out and invest it somewhere else. Now you're going to mm-hmm. pay interest. You're going to pay a small interest fee on that, but you're going to get dividends. And your typical net your typical net interest is like two to three percent. So it's like mm-hmm. a really low cost mortgage. And if you're getting you know double digit returns in real estate, and if you're not getting double digit returns in real estate, um, talk to Julie and Annie, I'm sure they can point you in the right direction. Um, We're going bigger pockets. There's a lot of ways you can do that. Um, But if, I mean, look, if you can get money at two to 3% and invest it at 10 plus percent, You know, to me, that's, that's a no brainer and have that value. And then here's the question I ask investors, you know, I'd say like, Annie, Julie, what are you doing with your money in between deals? Are you sticking Mm -hmm. in a checkings or saying checking your savings account? Mm -hmm. That money's just sitting there. It's it's basically Mm -hmm. rotting, right? It's getting eaten away Mm -hmm. by interest and fees and everything. Why not put it to work? And then when that investment pays off, if you don't have another place to put that money, you can put it back into your insurance policy until you have a place to put it. It's going to be safe. It's going to be protected from creditors mm-hmm. and it's going to be available, you know, in times like I, I called my insurance company three months ago when the uh, coronavirus broke out and I pulled I pulled a significant amount of liquidity out and and set it aside in case we needed it. So it's mm-hmm. I, I just think it's a tremendous tool. And it, mm-hmm. again, it is that it's, it's definitely a tool to be used versus, you know, just a straight investment. Although some people think of it like that too.
3: You mentioned that you were setting this up in lieu of a 529 plan. How? I mean, I'm sure there's people thinking, what 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 do you mean? Because and, and it's funny because when I first started talking to, to folks about this, I'd see on you know, Facebook, different people talking about, oh, what 529 plan should I do? What state should I open it? And, you know, all these things. I'm like, forget yeah. the 529 plan. There's all these other options. So talk a little bit about that. Like, what does that mean? Because sure. a lot of our audience are families and people who have young kids. So, so tell us about that.
0: Yeah. So again, it's, you know, I'm not a financial advisor, so I'm not going to tell, you know, any of your listeners you should do this or you shouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are restrictions with 529 plans. Mm-hmm. has to be used for, has to be used for qualified educational expenses. Um, sometimes it limit it limits the aid that a student gets, um, you know, and you may be limited with the investments that you can choose with the 529 plan. So mm-hmm. those are all things. Just like if you have a 401k, it's, I'm not saying 401ks are bad, especially if you're getting a match, that might be a good idea, but you're limited and it has some restrictions. Mm-hmm. What we did, I'll just talk about our our situation. Mm-hmm. We yeah. said, okay, if, and I actually I, I put together a blog so you can go on. It talks about, I have two parts. I have how to pay for college without a 529 plan with real mm-hmm. estate, part one, and how to pay for college without a 529 plan, part two, which is using life insurance. So I walk through this. So if, if unfortunately, these might be some uncomfortable numbers, but if, if you have a child today, I have two young boys, chances are in 15 plus years, you're gonna pay about two hundred thousand dollars a year or two hundred thousand dollars for a college education.
3: Yeah.
0: So if you say, Okay, two hundred thousand dollars, I'm gonna grab my, you know, my Texas instruments calculator here and it, you know, say they still a,
2: make those? <laughs> well, here's what's I actually this is this is
0: pretty cool. It's an app on the phone now. Can everybody see oh, that? Look at yeah. That. So I got my B A my that. BA two plus professional on the phone. I love it. Um, so you know, if it's, if you need $200,000 at 18, 18 years in the future, I'll just do this in real time for everybody. Mm -hmm. And you start off at zero Mm -hmm. and you're going to, let's say you can afford to put in, you know, 500 bucks a month Mm -hmm. that interest rate you need. Whoops. Here we go. Is going to be you need about a 6.3%, inter- 6.3% interest rate. So mm-hmm. you need to save about $500 a month where you got to get a really high, mm-hmm. you know, thing. So I thought, okay, if I can save $500 a month and put it in a life insurance policy, here's the thing. If you put in a 529 plan, mm-hmm. let's say you end up with $200,000, you take all that $200,000 out, what are you left with at the end? You're left with a mm-hmm. uh, paid-for college education, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you put an insurance policy, you start off with the $200,000. By the way, you can use that the whole time to -hmm. buy cars, to finance real estate projects that you can use to to have a bigger rate of return. Can't do that with a 529 plan. Mm -hmm. Let's say something happens and a parent loses their job. Let's say your, your son or daughter decides not to go to college or they get a scholarship or they're a professional athlete. And I have friends who they've said this. They're like, well, my son is doing this and he doesn't need the money. Well, you can use it for that. Let's say your daughter gets a scholarship. You can now use the money to pay for her her wedding or whatever else or, or down payment for a house. So there's that. But then here's the thing. You can borrow that money out and then your son or daughter or yourself, you can pay that money back in or not pay that money back. That's the other secret over time. And now that money can be used over and over and over again. Now it takes a little discipline. It takes, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, may, you may put that money back in there over a period of time, but now you can use it for a down payment for a car. You can use it to teach your children and say, well, listen, I'm, I'm going to give you the money for your college education. hmm instead of a student loan, but you're still going to have to pay it back like a student loan. And that's our plan with our kids. Like they're going to have that money to be able to use, but it's just not there and gone away. They're going to have to put that money back, but then they're going to have the benefit of it for, you know, whatever it is, buying a car, buying a house, buying their first investment property, um, mm-hmm. starting their own business. And that's the thing. If you look at people like Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, their parent, they came from from family of means, and they had the flexibility to be able to do that. So my goal is to give my children, you know, the ability to get an education, but also the education, the financial education, and then, you know, the resources if they decide so to do something that's, else. Obviously, I believe in it. And that's that's kind of my uh, thoughts if somebody's considering the two.
3: Yeah. And the one key word I kept hearing over and over is flexibility. Flexibility. And that is something that Freedom, right? Is that's what we all want. Totally. Yep. And it's a recurring theme, uh, with so many of our guests and, uh, leads us really nicely into our investing for good impact round, which, um, where we're going to ask you three questions around investing for good and what it means to you. Uh, awesome. and I, I assume that the answer to the first question is going to be related to the flexibility, but I'll, I'll ask you and see what you have to say. So the first question is around investing in yourself. So what is one way that your investments are helping you to live a better life?
0: Yeah, I think, um, something I maybe not wouldn't necessarily come to mind, but when I was a sales rep, I was a medical sales rep. I had this passive income coming in mm-hmm. and we had a big negotiation and all the different companies were trying to buy for this this $6 million a year contract. It was a three-year $6 mm-hmm. million dollar contract. I bet 100%. All the other companies, the representatives, they didn't go all in because they were scared to death of losing their job and their income. And what happened was, the fact that I wasn't scared that I had the ability to bet hundred percent and take that risk, we actually got it. And those reps that didn't, weren't able to take that risk or didn't want to take that risk, they ended up losing their, their income. So mm-hmm. that, that made a big, that made a big difference. I think it's allowed me, um, like you said, Julie, the flexibility to do what I want in my personal and professional life. And I think that's, that's what we talk about. It's what you all talk about. You're free to pursue your passions. I think it makes everyone a better person when you have the ability to do that.
3: And I feel like it also gives people so much more confidence to take on maybe a little bit more risk in doing things like leaving your job or spending two months on vacation or, you know, doing things that you otherwise wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable doing because you have these different streams of passive income coming in. And, you know, if something happens to you or, you know, you couldn't work or whatever, you still have money coming in. And so it allows you that, that, um, you know, that flexibility and therefore your confidence, right, to be able to take on- a little bit more risk with certain things in your life. So I love that. Absolutely. Okay. Second question is investing for in others. So what is one investing hack or investing strategy that you might be able to share with the audience that will help them catapult their investing journey?
0: Yeah. So I think, you know, finding a mentor is critical and you can use, you know, if, if you don't know where to look, you can start by listening to podcasts, but don't, that's why I wrote the book. That's why we have the podcast and the blog now, because I, I don't, you know, so many people make mistakes. I had to kind of fumble my way through Mm -hmm. and like it took me 10 years or eight years to figure out how to really maximize the use of, you know, the life insurance policies. Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's not necessary. So educate yourself. If, if you don't have a mentor, find somebody who emulates what you want your life to look like and reach out to them. And Mm -hmm. if, if they're not able to do it, they'll probably be able to point you to the right resources. So I would Mm -hmm. say first and foremost, Um, find a mentor and do not be afraid to reach out to people that you respect and you would like to uh, either emulate or have achieved the success that you want to be or have. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. Annie and I are huge believers of mentors uh, and coaches. We would not be as close to where we are without having those folks on our team and, um, you know, (laughs) guiding us. And it's like why reinvent the wheel, you know, so go talk exactly. to somebody who's doing it and just get the roadmaps so you know how to do exactly. it. Exactly. Okay, last question is investing in the world. So what is one way that your investments are helping to make the world a better place?
0: Yeah, so so two things. Um, one of the organizations here locally that we we really like and, and respect is called Open Doors of Asheville. And their mission is to basically shrink the education gap for those in poverty you know, education and, you know, and I would say financial education is so critical when it comes to, you know, moving up in this world, you know, getting a good education. Um, if you have a good education, you're probably gonna make more money. If you have more money, you can afford better food, you're gonna have better health, that means you're gonna live longer. If you live longer, you have time to compound interest and invest more that you can pass on to your family and turn into generational wealth. So we're, we donate to Open Doors of Asheville, but I'm also working with them to put together uh, a financial education path to help Ooh. educate these individuals, um, not just in, you know, in school, but also in finance and help them along that path. And it's something um, I'm very passionate about.
3: Love that, it's something that Annie and I are super passionate about as well, and um, something that we feel is is just lacking right now in yeah. the educational system. And you have to ask yourself why. Uh, and when yeah. you know, there's folks like you out there who are you know helping the young folks understand all of this at a much younger age than we all were. Um, we were right. adults, yeah. you know, when we when we learned all of this stuff. And um, I think it'll just help to make the world a better place as our children, you know, move into the move into a Adulthood, so I love all of that. All right, well, Chris, man, we've covered so much ground <laughs> in such a short time.
2: You've got your white paper, your book, your blog posts about five two nine plans, uh, the infinite banking concept. There's so much more we could talk about. But for the listeners out there who really connected with this conversation, what's the best place for them to go to learn more and perhaps get a copy of your book?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anybody listening today, if if this resonated with you, you can get a free copy of our book. Go to nextlevelincome.com. Click on the book link. You can put your address in. I'll send you a free copy of the book. You can also download an ebook there. Uh, If you are interested in learning more about what we call the investment optimizer approach um, and how to use that, Um, whether it's with, you know, your current policies or whether you want to, you know, just you want to decide if this is something that you want to do, um, go to the banking link, and then you can find the articles on the 529 plans at our blog link. So just hunt around our website, you'll find all that. And you can always reach out to me, uh, Chris at nextlevelincome.com. If you have any more questions.
2: Chris Larson, founder of Next Level Income and author of the book, Next Level Income. Thank you so much
1: for sharing your wisdom with us today, Chris.
0: Thanks for the Thanks, opportunity, Chris. Annie. Julie, it's been a pleasure.
1: You've been listening to Investing for Good, the number one podcast for people like you who are investing to build a legacy for their families, create a meaningful and intentional life by design and impact the world around them. For more resources, check out goodeginvestments.com slash podcast and be sure to join the Investing for Good Facebook community. And don't forget to subscribe and give us a five star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations every week. Until next time, keep investing for good.